0: All right. Welcome to the Rough Draft Podcast. My name is Olivia. My co host for today is Jasmine.
1: Jasmine.
0: (laughs) And our guest today is Dee Watkins, uh, editor at large of Salon and author of the books uh, The Beast Side, um, We Speak for Ourselves, and. um, Cooked Up. Cooked Up. Um, Thanks for coming on today.
2: No problem. Thank you guys for having me. So we just prepared
0: some questions for you. Um, We're going to start out with a little bit of a softball. Uh, What is your all-time favorite food?
2: Graham crackers. Graham
1: crackers? Honey graham crackers. Honey
2: graham crackers because they just never let me down. Like, you know, cinnamon's not so they're a little messy. Honey graham crackers, you take them anywhere. Um, And they're not that hard to find. I actually hate spaghetti. Really? Yeah.
0: Um, Okay, what's a food, (laughs) that's a better answer than I was expecting, Uh, uh, what's a food that you've never tried but always
2: wanted to? That's a good question, I've kind of had everything I've ever wanted, Um, you know, uh, (laughs) I ate some caviar a couple of weeks ago, um, and it was like really expensive, $50, $60 an ounce, (laughs) But and it didn't, like, change my life or anything. And it's not like, oh, my God, I need caviar. But, no, nah, if I see it and I like it, I try it. Um, I don't eat pork, and I never really want it. And I don't really think about it. And when I see it, I don't, I'm don't. i not grossed out by it. I just go sit at a different table. Okay. You're
1: kind of indifferent towards
2: it. I just didn't grow up on pork. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure people who like it enjoy it and they deserve it and they work hard and they get to have a good time with their pork. But I'm just... I don't know, I just don't want any (laughs)
1: My dad's the same way My stepmom doesn't eat it, so he grew up eating it But we don't because she doesn't So, yeah Um, Okay, so You came to my class American Memoir yesterday Uh, In our class you talked about Needing courage as a writer You mentioned how your younger self used to Write about topics that you don't Write about now, or used to Write in a way that you wouldn't Dare write now um, exactly what courage have you lost as a writer and what won't you write about now that you're a couple years into the industry?
2: So I didn't lose any courage as an author. I just grew as a person. And I mm-hmm. think that this, when you live a certain type of life, you have a vantage point. And that vantage point is it's yours. It's your ecosystem. it'd be really, really, it wouldn't be fair for me to talk about fighting to make it from Monday to Friday because I don't have any money because I have money now. So I think that story needs to be told because it's so many, it's so many other people's story, but why should I be telling that story if I actually, that's not one of my battles. Um, so when I say like um, things that I wrote about back then I wouldn't write about now, it's not that I'm scared. It's just not fair to myself and it's definitely not fair to my readers for me to BS them. Like I have to, you know create lanes and opportunities for other people to tell that story so that they can be authentic and real and they can help another, you know, group of people tell that story.
1: Okay. You
0: want to do the next one? Yeah, sure. Um, So you have three books published. You're editor-at-large for Salon. You've been uh, butchered by The Times. What piece of work are you the proudest of?
2: I'm extremely proud of... What I've accomplished as a teacher now, I know that like it's kind of not really talking about my writing because, you know, I'm really proud of a lot of things that I've written. But I think that being a teacher is part of my body of work, um, I cre- totally agree, yeah. creating art and making sure you're helping other people be able to create art and you're looking at them and you're watching them grow and you're seeing them progress and you're seeing them being able to publish and get opportunities and be able to do things. And you know that you answered that phone call at three o'clock in the morning, you added, you, you, you looked at that essay and you gave them that feedback that they really deserved and you didn't gloss over it and say, Oh, you're brilliant, but you went over it and I said, no, look, you, you know, you're strong here, but you're weak here and you, you can be better. So I think, um, that's what I'm proud of more than anything. The work I've done in schools, the work I've done with my own students, the work I've done with the people I mentor, and the work I've done throughout the whole prison system. Um, being accessible, sharing resources, sharing skills, sharing ideas, and just being being tough. That's what I'm, I'm most proud of. If we're talking about books, I would probably say the B side, that was my first book. It was special to me. When I dropped it, it was special. Pub Day was special. Um, that they thought my event was going to have like 150 people and they probably had about 400 people. We sold out of books. Oh, wow. We partied. You know, we had a good time. I seen people I didn't see in a long time. And then kids would like immediately started stealing the books from schools when they started getting them in because they related to it so much. So that's probably if I was talking about a book.
0: Yeah, and uh, um, I... Uh Read through the B side, and there's a, a lot of talk in there about the education system, and... Uh, yeah, it
2: sucks. Yeah,
0: it does <laughs> suck. um, So that's kind of a, you know, it, it, it's sort of an interesting full circle thing where kids are stealing the books because they related to it so much, and the book's about how much school sucks, or like <laughs> it has a lot of stuff about how sc- yeah. school sucks. Um,
1: yeah. All right, so I might repeat some questions that I already asked in class just for the sake of the podcast. I've heard your answers, but, you know, the cast hasn't heard it yet. So, all right, so in my class yesterday, uh, what – oh, wait. Okay, in my class yesterday, you mentioned that it was very difficult for you to cut some friends and family members out of books. Could you tell us about who was most difficult for you to exclude from the final edit and why?
2: It was hard for me to cut. It was hard for me to cut my best friend, Tavon, because he's been so – Meaningful to my life, my development as a person, as um, a storyteller, as a basketball player. He used to, you know, score a lot of points on me, so it's kind of mm-hmm. hard for me to cut him out. Um, it was also kind of hard for me to, and this is when I talk about when I talk about growing as a person. Uh, it was so hard for me to not fully write about my relationship with my mom or to write about my romantic relationship at the time because I was so into protecting people mm. that, you know, I only portrayed their good. I didn't portray their other sides. And I think that um, it was kind of hard to do that because, you know, it's every action has a reaction. Mm. And... I didn't really and I'm not mad about the decision cuz I didn't want to make it about them. I wanted to make it about the, the mistakes I made, but it probably would have put some of my mistakes in more context.
1: Okay. And so the opposite side of this question is what did you find absolutely necessary to keep in?
2: So, the thing that was most necessary to keep in that book was the fallacy and the fakeness of street life. People from the outside who looks in thinking it's all glamorous but on the inside you know people fighting to make money they can make if they had a job and people need to know that um people fighting to you know people portraying the drug life as glamorous when it's anything but and i think it gave people like a different like a different viewpoint a different perspective you know selling drugs isn't really that glamorous and it's conniving and it's corrupt and it's dirty and some days you stink and some days you'll be robbed and some days people will beat you and some days you'll beat other people and your fingernails are always dirty and it's really really cold outside four o'clock in the morning and you got a war with the police and you got a war with the dudes from down the block and you got a war with your own friends and you got to fight to save money that you could probably work at a job that's like an experience that I wanted people to know. What people think that everybody looks like you start selling drugs and then you start wearing like mink coats and flashy shoes and you know <laughs> and you're living this life and it's it's not that glamorous. So I had to make sure that was in the book over and over again. And I wanted people to know that any successes I had in the streets was just mistakes. There was exceptions. They weren't the rule. People aren't gifted. Product And people aren't gifted blocks because of whatever, you know, type of family situation they have. You got to fight in in for that stuff. So I wanted to make sure that was in there.
1: Um, That leads to a decent transition uh, for the next question. So the cook up obviously discusses a lot of, you know, issues on drugs in Baltimore. Um, But, you know, what person how did you personally battle with drugs?
2: Um, I've been battling with drugs since I was a kid. Um, There was all types of drugs around my house when I was growing up, Um, you know, um, for us to play with and experiment. Um, I've never been into using or trying powder cocaine, but it was around me so much that it looked normal. Um, I battled with Oxycontins, Percocets for a really, really long time, Um, mixing them with alcohol and needing that feeling to get through a day. At a time. Um, but the one thing I will say is that, which is kind of, you know, not fair to people who are battling addiction now, is um, it, it wasn't hard for me to quit. I just shift addictions to other things um, to exercise, to working, to, you know, to whatever I was fixated on at that particular time. Maybe my whole writing career is just a, a pivoted addiction because I write all of the time. Um, I write these books. I've written other books that might not ever see the light of day. Um, I just created a whole television show. I'm in a writer's room for another TV show. I'm working on three books right now. Um, two I already have deals, one, um, I got to finish it to get the deal. So, like, maybe it's just another addiction. Alright,
0: right, um, so you've written a lot about being alienated from stuff like politics or pop culture. Um, I think particularly notably is the piece Too Poor for Pop Culture, um, which I believe was a pretty early one in your career. Um, uh, Specifically in that one, you bring up the example of a big piece of news being Barack Obama taking a selfie at Nelson Mandela's funeral and how the people you were hanging out with it just didn't affect them at all, but, like, the uh, pop culture was making such a big deal out of it. Is that something that you see could be changing over time, or is that something that would need to be changed to make pop culture more relevant to... um to, to groups of people?
2: You know, the digital divide is still a very real thing. So when you're talking about... um. Pop culture, one of the things that has to be in this conversation that was actually all throughout the essay you just mentioned was, you know, you need a cell, you need smartphones and you need cell phones and you need Wi-Fi and you need to be able to pay your phone bill to play. If you don't have these things, you can't play. I have people in my projects running around talking about, yo, Black Lives Matter. And other people in my pro- from my projects like, yo, what's that? And because they don't even, they're not logged in, you know, so yeah. you can't, you can't play internet activist with no internet, <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? So it's like, it's still a problem today and it's still divisive. And even if you do have social media now, it's still segregated. It's still, it's still a divider. You look at the average black person's Instagram feed it's gonna be full of black people. You look at the average white person's Instagram feed. it's gonna be full of white people. You know what I mean, so it's like it's still a divide. It's divides that are just being cooked into our society, and we don't even know why it's working out like that. We just we don't even know um so um yeah I still i still I still think it's a thing, and I still think it's something that we constantly need to work on, and I think even before we get a chance to work on that divide or that culture and how we receive that culture I think we need to focus on making sure everyone can access it
1: All right. well you know I got to see your lecture last night you saw me there Olivia said we didn't get to see your lecture but in it I
0: wish I could have (laughs) gone
1: in it you kind of spoke about this idea of glamorized activism and uh, people protesting just for the sake of face uh and you, do, you yourself do quite a lot of bit of uh, philanthropic work by donating your books to high schools, doing lectures there and such. Um, you even helped, you said last night, you even helped a kid, you know, uh, enroll in community college and get a job. What do you recommend people do in order to truly help their community other than just posting a hashtag or wearing a Black Lives Matter button? On their jacket?
2: I think that... People need to work hard at connecting with other people if they care. So if you have the energy to, and I hate to be judgmental and I hate to sound like I'm preaching or talking down to people, but I do, this is how I honestly feel. If you have the energy to, know these issues and to talk about these issues and to beat us over the head with the amount of knowledge you have on these issues, then I think you should have the energy to try to mentor somebody and help them out. And it doesn't always cost a lot of money, just a little bit of time. Um, sometimes if you give a person a ride, if you commit to giving somebody a ride to school who it might take them a long time to get there by bus so they miss days, but if they got a ride, maybe they want, and you could be changing their life. If you help somebody learn how to, you know, help them create a resume that can help get them employed that could change their life. Um, I, You know, I've never, ever, 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 ever had a good resume until I've learned, I've trained myself to write book proposals and I got templates from other people who had book proposals and took their, some of that stuff and my stuff and tried to put it together. But that was like my first real resume. The resume I had for jobs, I, was, I got showed it to somebody. And this is like when I wasn't looking for a job no more. And I showed them, like, yo, this used to be my resume. Nobody would hire me. And the girl was like, yo, I bet this shit is bullshit. Like, yo, <laughs> like, yo. I'm like, I'm literally like uninspired. Like, by looking at this resume, I just don't want to do nothing today now because your resume was so bad. But if somebody, <laughs> if somebody taught me, then maybe you know, maybe I would have gotten some jobs that would have kept me away from the streets early on. You know. So I think, um, I think that there's a lot we can do, and I think sometimes people are intimidated um when it comes time to make a difference like they think that you know to make a difference like i said you can just give somebody like a ride to school or help them get a job but people think making a difference is you have to build a hospital you have to have a million followers you have to stand you have to be you know get a medal a medal from some big politician before you can actually get out there and do something when really yeah raise a million dollars when really you can get active with just five dollars you know what i'm saying
0: um, I think that actually leads me to a question that we had planned for a bit later. But um, a lot of uh, uh, what you talk about involves complex topics and things happening for a multitude of reasons. Um, and particularly, you mentioned uh, um, the Star-Spangled Banner. How it definitely wasn't written for black people, and wow. it, no. it it, <laughs> it uh, uh, also probably wasn't written for you know gay people, trans people, poor people, women. You know, it's not, it's written for a very small subset of Americans. And um, what sort of things do you think can be done to promote sort of intersectionality between those groups to help us sort of like, you know, work together?
1: Nice question.
2: I think we have to move away from tradition. People accept that song, the Star-Spangled Banner, because it's tradition. It's an American tradition. So like even when I presented like a challenge against that song I did this this is like before Captain and and all of that I put when I wrote that when I put it out that was like one of the first essays that actually got me death threats somebody put a picture of my house on the internet and was like yo you should find him and we should you know kind of get him away from here and I think it was it was it was just it was just an honest it was an honest um, essay, and I mentioned I mentioned many different groups in that essay. Even though the essay didn't it didn't call out it didn't call out trans people and it didn't call out gay people, you know. But it called out you know it called out b- black people, hirelings and slaves. It called yeah. them out, and I just I chose them. I chose that moment to include you know other oppressed groups as well because it's like yo we all collectively need to move away from these things that are so easily celebrated and just talk about. Um, how great we could be if we could recognize the faults in our country. And I kind of think about like um, America is like, you know, if it was like a broken arm, you know, if your arm is broke, you're going to try to go to the hospital and put a cast on it and fix it. In this country, we don't nurse. You know, we don't nurse the wounds. We just we'll let it stay broken because it's just it becomes comfortable looking like this. The arm oh, supposed to be like this. We just leave it like that. And I think we can be better. We can we can be that. We can fix. We can fix these problems. So you know, but we have to be honest and we have to be brave. We have to be brave enough to to call out the things that aren't right. And, and you know, and too often we don't, especially Republicans. They just don't call out anything. <laughs> You're right.
0: You want to do 10? Uh,
1: sure. So, when, last night in your lecture, when you were talking about the urgency of now, you mentioned the importance of grabbing an opportunity when it presents itself, right? Mm -hmm. So, when do you feel you have let a -a once-in-a-lifetime chance pass you by?
2: Um, okay, so... (laughs) This is a crazy night for me. This is a crazy night for me, and I had a great opportunity. But I'm loyal, and I'm a man, you know, of my word. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So I was in New York taking meetings. Um, I was in New York taking meetings about the publicity, (laughs) about the marketing plan for the cook-up. And that night in Baltimore, I was supposed to interview Ava DuRene on stage um, about Selma. She was supposed to be speaking at Johns Hopkins University. Mm -hmm. So um, while I was in New York, because I had to get back, I had to get on the train and go back to Baltimore that night. So while I was in New York, a publicist from another imprint called me up and she was like, Yo, I gave your book to this old school rapper named Luke, Two Live Crew, right? So I gave your book to Uncle Luke and I gave the book to some other people and they want you to come hang with them on The Daily Show and they want you we want you to introduce you to Trevor Noah so we can probably get you on there in the future this would be great for you and I'm like ah man this would be great for me but I already agreed to do the Ava DuVernay thing that I wasn't getting paid for anyway so I told them no I can't go I have a commitment and I jumped on a train and I went back to Baltimore and Ava DuVernay was having a bad day and it kind of spilled over to our conversation (laughs) And I I could have been in New York. I could have been in New York building that new relationship. But again, I'm a man of my word, and I did what I did what I had to do. And I, you know, I've, I'm still a huge fan of Ava. I know I know I have bad days too, mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard when you're a public figure because you're not allowed to have a bad day. Like it's no such thing. You're not even allowed to be human sometimes. Um, so I definitely understand where she was coming from because that school can be s- sloppy at times. Um, you know, they didn't pick her from her hotel, and she probably didn't get her mail, or they probably didn't, like, recommend places for her to go, and they probably promised her certain things that they didn't do. So, it probably was upsetting to her, and, like, I just was kind of, like, quite a bit, a bit of it with a crossfire, but, you know, I, I held it down. Um, like, I held it down, um, but I know these things happen. like... And I think another example would be um, not of an opportunity that I passed up because I really, really, I, I love the day. That's my favorite show, and I've never been on there. That was, like, not me going on as a guest, but me getting to meet all the producers and then hang out with them, and, and they'll get my story and my personality, and I can make it shake. But, like, um, speaking of Ava, like, I, something like that happened to, happened to me before, and I'm sure it probably happened to her, whereas um, I, I was in Seattle, and I read this article about um, – the more words you know, the further you go in life and the more, you know, and people who have book, grown books in their homes tend to do better, even if nobody reads them. So like I had this idea of just giving away 500 books in Baltimore um, to the first 500 people to come because because of this. Right. So I got the money together, um, got the books, um, called the lo- had my, my team, called the local newspaper to tell And this is like all in how you don't get a chance to be a human. My team called the local newspaper and was like, "Yo, D Walkers wants to give away 500 books. Um, yo, y'all want to cover it?" And they didn't say college professor gives away 500 books to promote reading. They said ex drug dealer gives away books. Like, so that's one thing, right? But whatever. Um, pos- you know, I am, I've done a lot of things since I was in the streets, but you know, I just thought it would be cool to be like author professor. But whatever. So I'm at the event. It's just all of these people like there, right? It's all of these people and over 500 people so like i ended up we ended up having to get the bookstore to like donate some and give some and then i had i had a little bill but it's all of these people and i'm in i'm I'm like in the i'm like jam-packed between like the wall and the back room and the people who organized the event in the bookstore were in the in the media and they were all like yo we want you to stand off to the side because people keep coming back here trying to meet you and and get you to take a picture and sign the books and all that. And we're gonna do that, but for order for the event to start on time, you gotta you gotta give your talk and then sign all the books and take all the pictures after the event. And I like cool, that's fair. So this girl makes it back there, and she's like you're my favorite writer, you're so great, Like I think you're so amazing, can you please sign my book?" And I'm like, oh yeah, sure, let me let me sign it. And then I signed it, and then the people were like, hey, he's not supposed to be signing books right now, if y'all want to have a conversation, you're going to have to wait like everybody else to the end of the event. And I'm like, yo, I'm sorry, like, you know, and then, so she don't know, and mind you, when she did this, my mother was talking to me, and she cut my mother off, and just started talking, right? like to the side mom you know she cut her off and so she was so she made it back through the crowd to her seat to the person that was holding her seat and she don't know she was sitting next to she was sitting right next to my manager on the other side so she was so she said D. Watkins is my favorite writer and I wanted to meet him my whole life and I just met him and he's an asshole he's so mean he didn't even want to talk to me he just signed thank you so much in my book he didn't write me a letter or anything And my manager was like, he's not like that. Like, why would you even say that? And why would you come out here and tell people that? Like, and she, you know, and she kind of went off on her. And um, it was like a weird situation because I'm like, I ain't even do nothing. Like, I didn't even do it. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if, like, if, like... um, you know, how many of these like types of writers and residencies and and, like stuff like that, that you guys attend. But I mean, I'm really only really required to do what I did last night. I'm not required to go to classes, lunches or community stuff, but I'm so thankful that if people want to meet me and I can say something and talk or I can share, or I can listen and learn. I just want to be a part. Like, you know, so for her to just promote that was just crazy. And that's, that's what it is. So, you know, so that could have potentially led to a missed opportunity. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, so we're sort of switching on to our last sort of general topic here. Um, So in uh, the essay, My Neighborhood Revolution, uh, you bring up that a lot of what's regarded as sort of classic literature, um, I believe you bring up Mark Twain specifically, is pretty inaccessible. Uh, It's a little hostile to uh, people who are, you know, newer to literature. Um, What sort of measures do you think uh, could be taken to make getting into literature more uh, accessible, more appealing for a wider range of people?
2: I think we have to diversify the storytellers and diversify the stories. That's the only way that it's just going to become more accessible. When, when I was giving Mark Twain books and all that, I was riding dirt bikes and I was really, really into riding dirt bikes. And I was into dirt bike tricks and Willie's and William and all that different stuff. That was my vibe. I was really into music and I was into Nikes and all that. that. that was my vibe. So, if my characters were in, you know, if the people who are read were into some of these things, then it would make the information less intimidating and more relatable. And I'm still performing the physical work that is needed to finish a book, but I'm getting used to reading. So now that I'm used to this skill, then you can slip in the Mark Twain's and the other stuff you want to slip in because I'm used to reading. We're not even teaching a skill. The best way to teach the skill is with familiar, non-intimidating information. Until we understand that, then a lot of people are going to be comfortable just not reading at all. Right.
1: Okay, so you said in your novel...
2: Memoir. I got memoir and essay collections. Novels are fiction.
1: Okay, well, in your memoir. Thank you. Jeez, um, I'm what? forgetting the name of the name. Oh, no. sorry. Oh, the... uh,
2: this one?
1: No, Cooked Up. Okay, oh, you said up. in your memoir, uh, Cooked Up, that you know, your brother had you reading um books by Frederick Douglass, and then you also said that The Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier was your one of your go-to books. Um, what is a book that you would recommend for our listeners?
2: So I would recommend that your listeners read Notes of a Young Black Chef because I thought it was I thought that was a really good memoir. Um I will also recommend them to read Made in Harlem, Dapper Dan's book. I think that was a good memoir. I think they should read "Hummingbirds Birds in the Trenches by Kondwani Fidel. That book is a mix of memoir poetry, and it's just, it's really fire. And I think they should also read The Cookout by me. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> Shane was pro-, pro. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, uh, you got it. I mean... <laughs> you know and also i mean i think that um nine years under by sheree book is, is fire too because it's such an interesting perspective um and if you're into magical realism but even if you're not into magical realism you'll really like this book called um she would be king by will you two more this book shit is fire like she's just such a great writer she's a talented person
0: all right um have you heard of uh, no names book club
2: yeah i heard a no names book club you know it's crazy because i actually met her mom at like a, a like a community event in um um chicago it's crazy like um yeah i heard a no names book club <laughs> yeah.
0: well that was that question <laughs> that was it yeah um and the last thing we're gonna do is uh started with a softball we're gonna end with a softball what is your favorite movie
2: trading places that was the first movie that taught me that you could do anything with opportunity. This dude was a bum in the streets. So he got a chance to be around money, talk about money, and rule money, and he ended up turning up and higher than the dude who went to Ivy League schools and all that. So That's like my favorite movie.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in. We appreciate it a lot. Uh-
2: so I, I pick up the money from you or you? I don't. Oh, uh,
0: that's her. Uh,
1: okay. No, it's definitely
2: Travis. Cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they said it's just this, this not a paid podcast. I was told um, that. You know, we're in debt to the school, so I don't know
1: uh, how much yeah. the money. The, <laughs> the school, <laughs> the school will get you for this one. We, uh, no, I'm just, you know,
0: we're I'm just, just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, joking.
1: Maybe they'll put it on our loans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you
0: know
2: they will. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. Right. Okay, um, I'm, I'm totally. I guess I'll I lose no sleep over that. All right, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Uh, I'm once just joking.
0: again, D. Watkins, thank you so much.
2: Thank